Hi, I'm Olivia. And I'm Kelly, and this is a Court of Theories podcast, where we deep dive all things Akatar, Throne of Glass, and Crescent City. This podcast contains spoilers. Hi! Hello. First off, happy holiday season, or whatever holiday it is that you celebrate. It's because it's December. Happy holiday season. Happy holiday. Happy holiday. Personally, I celebrate Toyotathon. Listen, <laughs> don't do not tell me you are a happy Honda Days family. No, this region that we live in, we are Toyotathon people. Toyotathon people, baby. always Toyotathon people. Honda, they they don't have nothing. They don't have no skin in the game here. Not to triangulate us. What one holiday? Christmas. That's what we're gonna celebrate. Because our Lord and Savior, Jesus Howard Christ and Sarah Janet Mass, come together to give us Christ Mass. Because Hunt is Jesus, we've already decided. Yeah, <laughs> but welcome to our Crescent City breakdown. I'm so excited. And to celebrate that today, I also would like to do something. It's called... Not the 12 days of Christmas gifts, but... What are you doing? Every, this is a surprise to me. Every Thursday gift to live. <gasps> I get so many gifts on the show. I love so much. <laughs> okay, so this is just going... Basically what it is is I'm going to do a build up to your Christmas gifts. So this is just something that... Merry Christmas. Thank you. Now I feel like a piece of shit because I don't have anything for you. Well, I, d- I have delivered cookies to your house. No, like that's twice. what I'm saying. You have delivered Cowboys cookies. This is amazing. I don't. I'm. Sh- <laughs> I thought this was the ornament from Bookish Box. No, I wish. No, and then so when I just pulled this out, I was like, "What is this?" I was like completely dumbfounded. <gasps> oh, so it's a full surprise. Yeah, Yay! a full surprise. Oh, it's just like, you know what? You Instead know how of a many times birds, I have almost bought this for myself on Mercari. Okay. Do you know how many times I was worried that you'd already bought yourself this on Mercari? I haven't, but I've looked at it like hundreds of times. Tell ever tell our it listeners what it is. The Fairy Loot Crescent City Pendant Necklace. Mm-hmm. It sure is. I love it. Thank you. You're welcome. I was, I really thought it was no ornament. I was completely surprised. No, I, I had that moment of. I literally see that it says fairy loot on the outside, but for whatever reason. You know what? It's okay. No, we're going to wait until it'll be February before we get any of that. <laughs> True. <laughs> Those ornaments. Considering the source. The box. Not to be rude. But They're just it, a little behind. It will not be this Christmas. It will. will next next year we will say last Christmas I ordered bookish box, <laughs> and the very next day it still hadn't came. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. This is so exciting. I need you to tell the listeners what other gift I got you That's from part of my Black Friday shopping extravaganza. That your ass oh, is sitting in. I got a new chair. No! So you'll notice that she's not yelling at me for the squeaking. I don't know if she cuts that out. Probably. I do. She cuts out the stuff that makes her sound bad, but she leaves in everything that makes me sound like a dick. So. Okay. No. You squeaking sounds like farts. So, <laughs> so I guess so thank you. You're welcome. It's stuff that would also make you sound bad. But here I am. You're in a brand new spanking chair that I built myself while I was high on my ass on Dayquil. Oh. And I'm still in my trash dumpster chair. But listen, she's solid wood, bro. Not 
She's good. She's good. They just don't make them like they used they, to. You know what? Dumpsters the same. <laughs> so part of our 12, since we're just throwing numbers out, when this episode drops, it'll be 54 days until House of Flame and Shadow whoop, whoop. graces our presence. And I'll be fucking damned if Sarah didn't post a picture of herself holding that motherfucker this week. Oh, she's beautiful. Sarah, I love how everybody. book. Yeah. <laughs> I love how everybody was like, it's. Lydia, it's Elaine. And I was like, it's Juniper and she's yeah. going to die. Yeah, she's dead. Which leads us to Fawn versus Fawn. Oh, God. F-A-U- it's a new game we're going to play. F-A-U-N. For whatever reason, I just glossed over that. The entire time, I have imagined Juniper as like this cute little... I imagine her tall and slender like a dancer, but I'm not trying to say petite, but like delicate. She's like this delicate deer. I'm imagining her very Bambi-like. And then whenever I looked up fawn, F-A-U-N, as, as it's actually spelled, I'm like, ew, what is this goat man? <laughs> There's one that is atrocious. Then I'm like, what depiction is that? This one where it's like, it's a little cherub kid with like <laughs> his little baby penis out. <laughs> so I'm telling myself, this? I'm telling myself that it, she is still a hat like a deer humanoid very delicate and adorable yes not this weird goat guy yes no because well I sent you that it could it it could also be to be fair that was also a Crescent City wiki page so they could put whatever the fuck they wanted on there you're right but also that fact that she's a dancer they talk they always talk about her long legs that she has these delicate features okay if you're looking at some of those photos on there stop some of these are very scary no some of them are very scary very scary and i i hate it yeah so don't just take it from us don't look at it don't look at it. i'm not linking any of these but anyways i said it was going to be juniper because literally in the first chapter of earth and blood there is just a little passage a little sentence where bryce like she doesn't acknowledge it but like her inner monologue acknowledges that there is a decapitated dancing fawn in the gallery. Yeah. And I was like, oh, if that's not foreshadowing that Juniper is going to croak, then it, I don't know what is. It would be her talking head. It would be her talking head. It would be her talking head. So yeah. So what's fun about this is that over the next 54 days, we are doing a breakdown of the Crescent City books, House of Earth and Blood. Yeah, House- but we don't. We didn't want this to be just like a reread and like a summary type thing. We really want to point out the details yes. and the really important stuff that we think is going to come up or that we think is going to be important in the future. And so this ain't your average reread. No, we're not over here just being like, chapter one, here is what happened. <laughs> we're not These doing that. These are my bullet points. That's no, because this week, and Liv, you can attest for this that there were some times where I was spiraling whenever I was yeah I did get a few voice notes that were like two and a half minutes long so I decided on this reread that I was going to do the audio Mm -hmm. I hadn't ever listened to the audio version of either one of them other than just like bits and pieces where I've just been like (sighs) because I sent you this week too where it's the one where (laughs) physical book readers how they pronounce stuff to the audio book listeners that are just like, no, no, no. And I'm like, nope, that is our, our relationship through and through. 
So there's just been stuff that my brain wasn't picking it up whenever I did my physical reread as it is the audio reread that had me spiraling. One of the first things that I want to do just to kick us off is I want to talk about the four houses of Midgard. Okay. Just because I know we did this like episode one a long, long time ago, but I want to go ahead and just do it in my best audio narration voice for you while I'm congested and disgusting. So you all are welcome. So the four houses of Midgard, house of earth and blood, humans, shifters, ordinary animals, witches, and many others to whom Kathona calls, as well as some chosen by Luna. Interesting. Okay. Okay. House of Sky and Breath, Malachim, which are the angels, elementals, sprites, fey, and those who are blessed by Solus, along with some favored by Luna. Notice the first one was chosen, and this one is favored. favored. House of Many Waters, which we just seem to totally skip whenever we were just Going through name and books, right? River spirits, water beasts, kelpies, mare, <laughs> mer, <laughs> mer, <laughs> nymphs, nox, and others watched over by Ogenius. Oh God, now I, I lost how to say that. O g e n a s. Ogenus, Ogenus. Oh no, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Keep going. Okay, it matters. But you're doing your best. Also. Is that a real name? <laughs> You're doing the best. You're over here just doing the good work. You can't help it. Just so we all know, who is Ogenius? She is the ocean goddess. And so she's the one that watches over House of Many Waters. And then we come up to House of Flame and Shadow, which is the Daemonici, the Reapers, the Vampires, the Draki, the Dragons, the Wraiths, the necromances, and many wicked and unnamed things that ever erred herself cannot see. So interesting. So interesting. And also just so erred is a goddess. And it's actually unknown whom she favors. But she is derived from the old Norse fate and was one of the three Norns in Norse mythology. So just to go ahead and just kick that off because we all know that Sarah loves mythology. We love to talk about mythology. This will be chapters one through 24 because we broke Earth and Blood up into four parts. And then House of Sky and Breath will also be broken up into four parts. So then that way it all just works out nice and clean. Because I was trying to absorb so many details and of the finer things, the finer things in life, I did a little googling just to see, look at some of the different variations of people that have actually done chapter by chapter outlines. And I found one that was reviews from a bookworm.blogspot.com. And then it's her Crescent City summary recaps. I would just like to say thank you. Her name is Charnel. So Charnel did a very basic of each chapter. And that was what I wanted because there's so many overviews Mm -hmm. of, oh, this happened in like this part and this part. I wanted someone to actually help. While I was trying to listen, I needed to be able to see. And so she did a really good job. But of course, Yaz the Bookish has a great breakdown as well of some of the yes um, governing parts, the government of Crescent City, the different breakdowns there. Because early on in this podcast, we were like, what exactly? Who is what? What's happening? Right. Because it's a lot. And I know that people are like, it's an info dump. But it's actually actually pinned. Yaz the Bookish has it pinned. It's called Summary Guide to Prepare for Flame and Shadow. And I'll link it. She does do a really great job. And it'll probably even help. Yaz is definitely, she is in preparation for 
She's also doing a big reread right now as well. So I think that she's currently in the Akatar portion of her reread at the time that this will come out. So she hasn't made it to a Crescent City reread yet. But yeah, she has like a character index. She has the rulers, the world of Midgard. She's got key locations, the world lore. She even has a timeline and then some of the historical events. So it is a really good one and it is pinned at the top of the top of her page. So anyways, part one, the hollow. So we learn in chapter one that Bryce works at Griffin Antiquities and she's been there for a year that she is a half fae, half human. She works in the antiquities with our little Lahaba, who's a tiny fire sprite. And then we find out that her best friend is Danica Findier, who is a wolf shifter. She works for Jessica Roga, who is a 400 year old enchantress who'd been born a witch and then was defected. And so she joined House of Flame and Shadow, and she only answers to the Underking, which is just a very pointed thing that we just pretty much learn right off the top. That I think just went under everybody's radar whenever, like, first being introduced to Crescent City. And, and the way that we'll talk about later, just how I think how integrated Jezeba is, even though she is literally one of the most, like, underrated side characters up to a certain point because yes, she pops in, pops out. And yes, like Bryce is on the phone with her, but like we only ever really see her so many times, even though Bryce might talk to her on the phone or so whatever. Danica met Bryce at Crescent City University five years prior to the beginning of Crescent City because there are a few time jumps in this first part where Bryce was bitching about having gotten a tattoo and how she it wasn't healing like Danica said that it would, which also was something that was very pointed for me as well, just because I don't know. It was just something wrong. Even though she's half fey, half human, she still should be able to heal that pretty fast. But what we find out later, I'm like, is that why it took forever to heal? But that Danica picked some frilly, she says like fancy or whatever language online for them to have tattoos on their back. So then Danica is part of the Valbar and Wolves. Her grandfather is the Prime. Her mother, Sabine, is the Alpha of the Scythe Moon Pack. And Sabine is the Prime apparent of the Valbar and Wolves. And Danica is second in line. And Danica is basically a threat to her mom, Sabine. And there are whispers that Danica should take over when her grandfather dies because her grandfather had bypassed his daughter and given Danica the family heirloom sword. Which Sabine saw as a big slight and has not forgiven Danica for it whatsoever, even though really wasn't her fault. Really wasn't her fault because, and this was something that I voice noted to you, where it says in the, in the I almost said the scripture. Can we just say, I literally almost said it said <laughs> in the scripture as I look at my nativity scene right over here. Sorry, Jesus. Sorry, Jesus. This is our other... Lord and Savior, that the sword basically called to the prime and like basically spoke to him that it needed to go to Danica and not Sabine. But it did not speak to Danica and it did not speak to anyone else. Basically, the prime just said, oh, this is the reason it spoke to me. It called to Danica and not Sabine. So again, this is a reread. So we're all very in tune with what happens, what's going on. I, it's like, what does the prime know? They always talk about that their prime dozes off. He's asleep. He comes back. What is he seeing? What is he hearing? What does he know? Later, we learn about the mystic that's a wolf. What if that's just something as part of the wolves? And again, we don't have to go on a deep 
tan- like I don't want us to go into deep tangent, but these are just things like thoughts that have come in my head during this reread because of things that we know later on that wouldn't necessarily be key if you're just reading it for the first time. Do you think it's like of any importance or just a fun little tidbit from Sarah that literally the second sentence of the book, which meant it must be Thursday. Okay. And this was something I think I, did I send it to you or did I just literally go on my own tangent in this first chapter, all the fucking things that happen on a Thursday, the entire chapter. And it keeps reiterating that it's Thursday, that it's Thursday. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, I don't, yeah, I don't know if it was just like a fun in your face. Oh, ha ha ha. This is my play on words for what you're going to see later. Just as that little tiny fun for her foreshadowing. Or if this is, or if it truly means something for things to happen on a Thursday. I don't know. I don't know. We learn one of the human rebellion, Philip Briggs is being released because of a technicality because of a nightclub that he planned to blow up, which BT dubs is called the white Raven. Which I think I also sent you a voice note thing that I was like, is there something else that's called something Raven? Also, there is a black Raven on the front cover of House of Earth and Blood. And so where Elaine sees different Ravens, I was like, I know that we saw that as Hyburn's twins. But is that something that is also just another fun little foreshadowing thing where Ravens just keep popping up that maybe necessarily... That's just like an omen kind of thing. I don't know. Anyways, that was me just, again, losing my mind in the audio book world. So for anybody that tries to claim that audiobooks is not a true form of reading, number one, you're an ableist. And number two, the amount of things that my brain was like, hold on, mm-hmm. hearing it in audiobook form, it, it takes the exact same like critical thinking skills to pick up on those things, whether you're reading it from text or it being read to you through headphones. And so the amount of things that I was picking up on that I'd literally have to pause on my phone to send live voice notes was insane. So I just found something that I thought was interesting. I am like scrolling through literally the book on my Kindle as we're talking about this. And we were just talking about the pinned first post from Yaz the Bookish? Yeah. Because I was like, oh, she's got little graphics on here. So cute. And I was looking at this because it's she's got the gates of Lunathian. Yes. Okay. And then I came across the paragraph talking about Danica's hair and it says wisps of her silvery blonde hair, normally a straight silken sheet, curled from her tight long braid with streaks of amethyst, sapphire, and rose, which is a weird way to describe colors. Right. Because and not later- just say like, Blue, purple, and pink. Because later, it they just say that she was in there getting her hair touched up. So it doesn't re-describe it. That's like the one and done. So the amethyst gate is the mortal gate. The rose gate is the emerald gate to five roses, which the autumn king is a part of. And then the sapphire gate is the river gate. I don't know if that does anything, if that means anything. I just thought it was really interesting that she names them after... The same thing she's named the gate after as the streaks in Danica's hair. The mortal gate is amethyst. The rose gate is emerald, but again, it's the rose gate. The river gate is sapphire and her hair is amethyst, sapphire and rose. So you mean two of those gates are Bryce because if it's the human gate and then it's the autumn, the same gate for like basically the autumn king, that's Bryce. 
because she's half. And then the third gate is the river gate. So basically like the house of many waters that we mm-hmm. don't have a book on. Yeah. I just thought that was really interesting. I mean, that's, the first time she talks about the different colors in Danica's hair, Nothing it's literally is a coincidence, right? It's literally like jewel tones, but she doesn't yeah. say, yeah, like they shine Anyways. like jewels in the sun, blah, 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 blah. No, that see, that's why we're doing this because this is, that's a fun thing. And also I bet it does mean something mm-hmm. because we don't, yes, we have two full books and yes, we are barely into chapter one of this. But, there, we don't even really know everything about what Danica was doing. We don't have answers on Sophie. We don't. So there's so much. Also interesting. I didn't realize. And how many times have I freaking read this? I didn't realize that it says Danica wants to store her stuff in the supply closet. But she says, I need to dump this here for a few hours. She said, pulling the sword off her back and aiming for the supply closet hidden behind a wooden panel across the showroom. The supply closet is hidden. I think I knew that just because that's so weird. I, I think that it was like a, a Jezebel thing where it would ruin the aesthetic. If you I mean, could see. I get it, but also, yeah, that I picked it up as like Jezebel was like, uh-uh, uh, I got an aesthetic going on mm-hmm. in here and your fucking supply closet. But also the fact that as soon as Danica starts dumping that stuff, Jezebel's like, get Danica's shit out of my closet. Yeah. Like she doesn't basically trying to be like, I don't want her shit here. But again, and I'll talk about this later, how I think, how much more I think Jezebel really does fit into everything that has happened thus far. Okay. Okay. So where it's revealed that Philip Briggs was part of the human rebellion and he planned to blow up a nightclub and that he is being released on a technicality because he was trying to trigger a war between human and veneer which is all creatures above humans and wanted to overthrow those who oppress humans because humans are seen as the lesser in Midgard, which is very much the same as in Prithian. Pretty much only in Crescent City can a human do anything besides be a slave, essentially. Yeah. And so then Danica and the Pack of Devils stop the plot and then they put him in prison. So the Pack of Devils is one of the most elite shifter units in Crescent City's Ox, and they patrol the Old Square, and Danica is the Alpha. So then the 33rd Imperial Legion are angels who are the governor's personal army, and Micah Domitus is the Archangel of Crescent City. So he is the governor, and he oversees everything, and he's a dick. So, so seven heads of the city, which Crescent City used to be known as Lunathian, so each head controls a specific part of the city. Prime of the Wolves in Moonwood. Faye Autumn King in Five Roses. The Under King in the Bone Quarter. The Viper Queen in the Meat Market, which I know she basically means nothing to you, <laughs> Olivia. And I'm over here like everything yet. she does. I'm like, okay, she only blinked with one eye. Okay, look, like her hair slid this way. And you're like, I don't fucking care. I know, I don't and know I'm why. I'm so hung up on her. I'm so hung up on her. And then the Oracle in the Old Square and the River Queen in the Blue Court beneath the East Rose River. Humans in Asphodel Meadows had no head because nobody gives a fuck about humans. Just like Juniper in the next book. Just <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
Oh my God. Happy holidays. <laughs> and then Micah is the head of the central business district and rules over all of them. He is the archangel of Valbara and answers only to the six Asteri in the eternal city, which is the capital of Pangera. So it is a lot mm-hmm. in this first chapter, but we're literally laying out a map. We're laying the land. They're giving you the foundation. And also, I think it's neat her putting it all in chapter one, because then if you needed to go back and be like, what the fuck? You can just literally go back to chapter one mm-hmm. and see what you're looking for. And then we also learn about Srinx, which is just a chimera that Jessica purchased. And so he's gallivanting around the gallery with Lahaba and Bryce. And then that's pretty much everything that we, just all the basic things that we get in chapter one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we were already speculating in chapter one. I was already spiraling in chapter one. But I love that like she talks about Syrinx just to, because I'm obsessed with Syrinx. Yeah. He's cute. He's a 30 pound chimera, rose up the stairs. Jespa had purchased the lower creature. So he's considered a lower creature two months ago to Bryce's delight. He is not a pet. Jessica had warned her. He's an expensive, rare creature bought for the sole purpose of assisting Lahaba and guarding these books. Do not interfere with his duties. Searings is going to be something because at some point Hunt also makes a comment about does Bryce not realize that cage is pointless? Like Searings, chimeras can undo locks. Yes. So I actually mentioned that later, I think. Oh, sorry. I'll shut up. Because that's because Hunt does call Isaiah about that, but that is later. So then we move on to chapter two. So then we learn a little bit more about Danica's pack. So Connor Holstrom is her second. And then Natalie is her third. So then Jespa wants her to try and find Luna's horn because it was stolen from Luna's temple during a power outage that had recently happened. And it's an ancient Fey relic. And Micah has offered a hefty reward for its return, which Jesma doesn't give a fuck about that reward. She wants the fucking horn. So she has, she wants it because we don't learn it this early on, but just all the things that are in that fucking gallery. And then we learn about the Umbra Mortis, who is Micah's personal assassin with the rare gift of lightning in his veins and can eliminate almost any threat. And so there are six enthroned Assyri with an empty throne to honor their fallen sister, Sirius, which... They talk about that the throne, oh, that's the empty throne, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know. It just, I think I said, which again, it was just like the whole like wolf thing where I'm just like, is this a whole another fucking wolf thing with Feyre and all this shit? I'm pretty sure I sent you a voice note on that too. And so then we know that Sabine hates Bryce and that Danica is the only wolf in her pack that has yet to make the drop, which the drop is what they make into mortality or into immortality. Sorry, 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 not mortality. And then Rune, we meet or we hear about Rune, which is Bryce's half brother. And he is also a full fae, but everyone is believes that he is her cousin because of that. Her being half human, half fae, their parentage. And then she has not accepted basically her sperm donor. So they just keep up the whole facade that they are related, but only as cousins. And then Bryce wears a golden pendant, which is a knot of three entwined circles. Just keeps fucking coming up every which way. Mm-hmm. The eye of Elena, what the bone carver draws into the dirt. It's just fucking everywhere. Three-faced goddess from the witches. Uh, it is an Arkesian amulet that Jezebel 
Mm-hmm. Just you mentioned casually mentioning the witches mm-hmm. that Jezebel gave her on her first day. It offers protection against the influence of various magical objects. And Jezebel basically said, don't ever fucking take this off. Danica told her, don't take it off. She said it's a hazmat suit and a necklace. Oh, I thought Jezebel also told her not to take it Danica off. Danica nodded to the necklace. Don't take that off, especially if you're looking into shit like the horn. Oh, I thought that it had said that. Jezebel basically says that she gives it to Bryce for insurance purposes, I think. Yeah. As protection, but I think it's something more. Oh, I definitely think it's something more. And that ties back into how much deeper it is, I think, that Jezebel is involved than what is truly being led on. And then we learn that Amber Quinlan is her mommy, who lives 300 miles away, and her stepfather, Randall, who she considers her true father, made sure she knew how to protect herself and taught her how to shoot. Mm -hmm. So then there's a gate in the heart of the old square with a quartz archway, which... You know, if you look at our artwork for the pod, there's a big gate right in the middle of it. I don't know. There are uh, seven like it in the city, and they're all carved from quartz from the Lasonian Mountains. This one is called the Heart Gate, as it is the dead center of the city. And then jutting out of the gate, there is a dial pad. It's a solid gold block embedded with seven different gems, each for a different quarter of the city. The insignia of each district is etched below it, an emerald and rose for five roses, opal and a pair of wings for the CBD, ruby and heart for the old square, sapphire and an oak tree for Moonwood, amethyst and a human hand for the Asphodel Meadows, tiger's eye and a serpent for the meat market, onyx and a skull and crossbones for the bone quarter. And below that is a small round disc worn down by all the hands that have touched it. And the sign reads, touch at your own risk. Do not use it between sundown and sunrise. Violators will be fine. There are seven gates, each set along a ley line running through Lunathian, designed as a quick way for guards in the districts to speak with each other. When they'd put a hand on the pad and speak, the voice would travel to the other gates. It required a drop of magic to do so. Plaque above the gate says the power shall always be to those who give their lives to the city. And basically now it's just a tourist attraction that people will run up and put on there and they'll yell titties to the other side. And then Bryce and Danica plan to make the drop together. Um, the The drop does not give true immortality. Veneer do age and die from natural causes or other methods, but the aging process is slow after the drop. Fae can last thousands of years. Shifter witches usually five centuries. Angels somewhere in between. Bryce is not sure where she'll fall given her half Fae heritage. Another thing that kind of bothered me that just kept popping up and it's just because the whole like immortality thing that it just kept talking about like her mom just living a human lifespan. Like she was trying to keep things easy, not to worry her mom because of her human lifespan. And I'm just like, ugh, it bothers me because of the whole immortality thing. But then at the same time, I was also having thoughts where I'm just like, but is she like Aelin? Where yeah, we I don't think know. that she's a human, but maybe she's not Mm -hmm. or maybe there's a way that she can be made like Farah and Nesta and Elaine anyways 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 just so we don't get off on a tangent Tess confirmed that once Danica drops she'll have considerable power way more than her mother (laughs) and could basically become the alpha of all the wolves which is another reason why she's a huge threat to Sabine. It's also one of those, again, what does the prime know? What 
what are we really going to find out that he truly does know? Like whenever he's quote unquote sleeping, where's he actually at? We've talked about that. uh, Everything just being a dream, a dreamscape, but then also the way the mystics travel, the way that rune can go and find things in dreamscapes. What can the prime actually do? It's just something that just kept coming back to me. Danica and Bryce plan to make the drop at 27. Fury Axtar, who we know fucking nothing about, who they met at CCU is one of their friends. Danica thinks she's an assassin. And then Juniper Andromeda, who's a fawn, who we think is dear, not a weird little goat person, is their other friend. And then we also know that Sabine never told Danica who her father is. Then we go into chapter three, where the pack of devils is hanging out in Bryce's apartment. Briggs was released Two research students from CCU got killed near Luna's temple during that blackout that was in Danica's section. And basically Sabina is blaming her. They were ripped to shreds and partially eaten. Bryce was on a date with her boyfriend Reed and dumped him that night. Whatever. We find out how Bryce wanted to be part of the ballet that she had the quote unquote wrong body type and that Bryce is actually 23 years old. Um, and then in place Connor, who I think is very much the Sam of the Crescent city world where he just Really didn't get that chance. Obviously, he's been pining after her for years. And then she just keeps denying him. And then I think it's really funny that reviews from a bookworm she put on here. She doesn't want a veneer male in her business controlling her because she has daddy issues. And I'm like, preach it. Because her own fae father seduced Ember at 19 years old and got possessive when she realized she was pregnant and she ran. Which, did he get possessive? He already had Rune. Whenever Ember got pregnant. Is Ember Einar's mate for him to get possessive? Because I think about like the way that, uh, and really just more of how Lucian is, where Elaine has not accepted the mating bond. And so Lucian, like, yes, he gets emotional about things, but he wants to be a part of it. And if he wanted to be, he could have possessive tendencies, but he doesn't because he steps away. And basically Ember keeps herself away from Einar. Are they mates? And Einar knows it. And I is that why think, he got really possessive? I would think not. Cause I feel like he's a dickhead. And if they really were like, she would technically be property if they follow the same mate thing as they do in Prithian. And because we Rune's mom was never said to be his mate. No, she was chosen. Yeah. To breed. Right. But I feel like if she was his mate, he would have like pulled a real dick move and locked her up basically. Well, maybe. I don't know. It's just a thought. I feel like if she was and then she left, he would have lost his mind and like scoured Midgard for her. Maybe that's why he's looking for patterns. I'll get to that later. Chapter four, Connor is sending messages asking Bryce out on a date, saying he thinks they're worth it, worth a shot. He's crazy about her. Reed shows up late. He owns Redner Industries, which is just a human owned industries that is really big and it's just a very rare thing for a human to have basically climbed up the ladder the way that they did. You really skipped something really important about what? the pack night. Whenever Danica says to the wolves in the other room, she's like, come and get it. Like the pizza, they're like, please let us eat. She's like, come and get it. Um, and in that frenzy, Bryce was nearly flattened against the back wall of the kitchen. The monthly calendar pinned to it crumpling behind her and damn it. She loved that calendar the hottest Bachelors of Crescent City clothing optional edition. This month had the most gorgeous Daimonaki she'd ever seen. His leg propped up on a stool. The only thing keeping everything from being shown. That was super important. I'm sorry. You, that. you know what? I'm actually, 
I'm going to go ahead and just tell everybody that I'm, I'm going to quit the pod because I, <laughs> you do not have our listeners best interest at in no, heart. No, I don't. You and you know that. what? Thank God you do because that you're you welcome. Really, you really had me there for a second. I was really like, what the fuck? They're just eating <laughs> pizza. Liv. Um, anyways, uh, where was I now that I'm picturing that guy with that stool covering his crotch? <laughs> okay. So then it's brought up and, and talked about that. The veneer crawled through the Northern rift and overtook Midgard eons ago. An event called the crossing reports of territory across the Haldron sea are grim and war has raged for 40 years there. For 40 years, 40 days, and 40 nights. Mm -hmm. So humans have more rights now. Anyone who messes up goes back to being a literal slave to the Republic. Warrior angels in the 33rd that are slaves are marked by SPQM slave tattoos on their wrists. Which, when I was doing my listening, is literally surrounded by seven stars. Oh, really? Yeah. I just pictured it with just the SPQM, but then it is literally surrounded by seven stars for the seven Asteri. Yeah, I didn't remember that. Then Bryce breaks up with Reed. She phones Fury and Juniper and gets them to meet at the White Raven for a drink. And then Bryce sends Connor a text agreeing to go on a date and then says that they'll see each other in a few days. There is different dominant shifter packs in other cities. So lions in Hylene, tigers in Corinth. Not unlike Orinth. Right, right, right. And falcons in Oia. Right? I don't know. Okay. Anyways. And Fury, no one knows what house she belongs to. And she's just, she's literally just out there killing people. She says, pew, 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 off them. They don't really know that a whole lot, but we do. I was going to say, Bryce, and whenever we are introduced to Fury, Danica always calls her an assassin. Yeah. Juniper admits that she's probably a mercenary. And then whenever Hunt is introduced and they bring up Fury Axtar, Hunt does say that she's a mercenary. So yes. I thought that was interesting. That was probably in Prithian, disguised, talking to Farah. Anyways. Giving her some money for that wolf pelt. That, right, 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 right. Wolf pelt. Anyways. Because <laughs> I think Farah has something to do with the wolves. And so the chapter five, I like this. Bryce gets drunk and takes drugs. <laughs> you know what? Good for her. Let a girl live. Okay. And then she returns to her building uh, literally just drunk and high off her ass because she's just trying to enjoy the night, which like, of course, Danica's like, you bitch for going to the club without her. So then she heads home and she finds that her apartment door is crumpled and open and blood outside the building. And literally the whole entire pack is murdered. They're in pieces. Danica's body is on Bryce's bed. Thorne is on one side of the bed in pieces and Connor at the foot of it, which oh, wait. We missed something that I wanted to highlight. Oh, I was going to talk about how there was like such this brief mentioning on Thorn. I don't, I think it might've been in chapter four, but basically Thorn's the Omega. Bryce even made a comment that Thorn is infatuated with Danica and that she felt like that Thorn and Danica would have actually been a cute pairing. And I just thought that was just very strange that... And granted, they like all die in the next chapter, but that Bryce noted that and not just once, but like at least twice. So in chapter four, after Bryce talks about the crossing, she's got this like little kind of inner monologue that I thought was interesting. And it says she often wondered about it, what it had been like before this planet had found itself occupied by creatures from so many different worlds, all of them far more advanced and civilized, which is in italics, far more advanced and civilized. 
than this one when it was just humans and ordinary animals. Even their calendar system hearkened to the crossing and the time before and after it. H-E and V-E, human era and veneer era, which I thought was really interesting. And then whenever she talks about the Pangeran conflict, Mm -hmm. we get a little bit of information about the geography of Crescent City that and Valbara that I hadn't recalled from previous reads. So it says, should the conflict cross it, Crescent City sitting on Valbara's southeastern coast, midway up a peninsula called the Hand for the shape of the arid mountainous land that jutted out would be one of the first places in its path. So I thought, okay, we need to look at the map. and Because I thought it was interesting that it says the peninsula that Crescent City sits on is called the Hand. See, there's a reason that I brought the Throne of Glass book back here. Because if... I was trying to look because if we've thought that Lunathian was over the top of Valaris, it's not totally in left field. And again, whenever you overlay Prithian and Aurelia, though, no, it yeah, they fits. They pretty much fit. But there's water making things different. Which so it's very possible that it could still fit. There's just water making things different because we talked about like the middle potentially being like the Haldron Sea and like, right. And then you think about, too, just even like our Earth, how things have eroded and the seas rise and mm-hmm. how, what was it that the Earth was allegedly one huge landmass and then broke apart. And that's how we have all of our different continents. So it is very possible that the hand could be up in the night court. And hell, it could even be we're like part of the day court into the night court. I do hope, though, that in Flame and Shadow, because like with Akatar, the maps progressed. I really hope that we do get an updated map. I will fucking scream. Sorry, we're in chapter five. So then Bryce sounds and then she chases after whatever killed her friend. She sees it, but doesn't recognize it. Some feral thing was smooth near translucent. Near translucent gray skin. So good at my job. Crawling on long limbs and looking vaguely humanoid. She spots it feasting on an angel. And so then Bryce attacks it. Obviously it's going to retaliate back. And so its claws rip open her thigh and she tries to help the angel that lays dying. So then this is the part that she calls, I guess it's not their 911 or their emergency. I don't know, whatever their, can't remember what their emergency line was. And then this is me whenever I was spiraling that. So if anyone is good with numerology stuff or would like to give it a shot, the number that she screams into the phone is 112-030577. I looked on the phone pad. Basically just I was like, how could I T9 text this if I needed to? I don't see anything like it because I'm just like, Sarah, she's not just going to have random fucking numbers. I pulled up like my phone's pad to see how the letters aligned up with the numbers. And I didn't see anything like would be like, what us millennials know is T9 texting. There's a lot of numerology stuff and a lot of coding. So if anybody's like good with number coding, if Liv doesn't crack the code between now and the end of this episode, ready, set, go. So angel number 112 is a blend of the attributes and energies of the double number one and two. 
One relates to new beginnings, motivation, progress, self-reliance, achievement, and attainment, creating your own reality. Two carries the vibrations of duality, partnership, relationships, diplomacy, adaptability, sensitivity, and selflessness. So one, one, two is a message from your angels, not to be hindered by old habits that need to be changed. It tells you about how to look at new experiences with optimism as they will bring about favorable and positive effects and opportunities. This helps with achieving goals and aspirations. This allows for the old to be replaced with the new angel. Number one, one, two encourages you to be yourself. Uh, it encourages you to look at different ways to enhance your home, garden and surrounds. Use the art of feng shui to bring positive energies into your life. Angel one, number 112 is a message from your angels to ensure that you put out into the universe of a positive nature. You are asked to stay on a positive path and to use your natural skills, talents, and abilities to the utmost benefit for yourself and others. So then let's look at 03. I know I don't know if you do O like zero in front of a number. Is that a thing or not necessarily? See, I don't know because a zero on a phone pad is basically just the plus sign three angel number three is an indication that your angels are trying to get your attention that's interesting so then what is angel five seven seven also the angel number will come back into play later five seven seven suggests that you are confidently continue onto your current path as you're doing a wonderful job focus on your personal spirituality and give any fears or concerns to your angels that you will be surrounded supported and guided by these angels huh okay so we've got the angel it's a message that you are to be commended and applauded for the positive changes that you are making in your life i don't know well you are living your life purpose and soul mission foreshadowing question mark question mark question mark okay i'm gonna take us into chapter six just because not trying to trigger anybody with some of the traumatic stuff that was going on so then basically we go into chapter six. And so I, Isaiah Tiberian is looking at Bryce through a one-way mirror of the Legion's holding center. And then Athy, <laughs> our umper mortis comes to inquire about Bryce. I want to make a note when I was reading through this, I thought it was so interesting that as we meet Hunt and he's the umper mortis, he's a badass. Everybody knows who he is. And I thought it was interesting that for one thing that Isaiah has to, st- he had to train himself to not flinch at Hunt's voice. Yeah. I was like, that's so interesting. Isaiah talks about like how he's had the first quiet he's had in hours. He had no doubt it would end soon. As if the thought had tempted Erd herself, a rough male voice spoke from the door behind him. She's still not talking. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. As if the thought of um, tempted Erd herself. Another thing that just to... Go back to the nightclub really quick because, you know, I can't let the fucking mm-hmm. raven thing go. The fucking white raven is on Archer Street. Mm-hmm. And Luna's an archer. She's got a bow. No, and I, I think that saying, Danica... Like, because of Elaine's just being an archer on and then her stuff with all the raven shit. I have it highlighted whenever Bryce and Danica go to the dial pad or whatever to do their wish. I couldn't tell when I was reading it if it was the person working or if it was Danica, the badge, it says something about a badge. And I didn't know if it was Danica's badge or that person's badge. Maybe they both have it, but it said that the emblem on it was a crescent moon with a knocked bow and arrow. That would, I would think that would be the worker's badge. There, Danica's probably Danica's technically like a government employee too, right? Yeah. Maybe it was hers. So she's like showing it to her. I'm one of you basically. Cause that's how she's like, also, she, jump the line. she's in the scythe moon pack. So yeah. 
I think because I know that she does it to get them to like where they can jump the line. Again, if they have a fucking arrow and shit. Motherfucking Archeron sisters. But anyways, sorry. I just thought it was really interesting that like Isaiah is like flinching at Hunt's voice. But like, every interaction that Hunt has with Bryce in the beginning, it's made note of how he isn't acting the way he normally acts with people. Right. It took all two centuries of Isaiah's training on and off the battlefield to avoid flinching at that voice, to turn slowly toward the angel he knew would be leaning against the doorway, wearing his usual black battle suit, an angel who reason and history reminded him he was an ally, though every instinct roared the opposite. Mm -hmm. Predator, killer, monster. So that is very interesting that they are friends and that, again, Isaiah knows that they're friends, but it comes back to the whole Roman Empire, Caesar, Jesus, things that we have talked about in the past. A lot of those theories. Okay, so Hunt is given all the information they have on Bryce. So her name is Bryce Adelaide Quinlan, which we find out in the first chapter. But I just love how we have everybody's motherfucking full ass names. (laughs) We have fucking maiden names and all of this. And like, we don't fucking know shit about shit for Akatar people. It, Anyways. She's 23. She's half fae, half human. A blood test confirmed that she will have an immortal lifespan. Power rating near negligible hasn't made the drop yet. And then she is also listed as a full civitas, which is thanks to the autumn King. She was found in an alleyway with an angel trying to keep his heart from falling out with her bare hands. Cut on her thigh was huge. An artery had been hit and luckily she survived. Hunt views hers as a spoiled party girl. Cause like they just kept talking about all the drugs and shit that her system, like she was fucking hanging out with her friends. Like fuck off. Fuck the patriarchy. Honestly, they make note that she is Danica's roommate and that Danica was known as the party princess. Hunt couldn't find the demon that did it, which as someone who we find out later is supposed to be a specific demon hunter. I just think was just, you know, did it fall back into the depths of hell where it or whence it came or five warrior teams in the triari the most elite of all the imperial legion units is micah's cabal micah appointed isaiah the commander of the 33rd which is also just very interesting because it is noted how isaiah basically worked his way back up towards that ranking to the top even though he was a slave and even makes point to say that he believes like it won't be too long before Isaiah would lose his slave crown because he is just such a favorite. I just thought that was just very interesting for something to come up how he is a commander of the 33rd, even though he was a slave and um, rebelled. And then it says no one knows where Hunt belongs. (laughs) And then that he arrived two years ago from Pangera. Philip Briggs has been arrested for their murders because they believed that he summoned the demon. And so then we're noted that angels have a power that is in some variation of the same rain, storms, the occasional tornado. Isaiah can summon wind capable of keeping a charging enemy at bay, but none in living memory possessed Hunt's ability to harness lightning at will. Again, I just think it's just very interesting how we always seem to be coming back to fucking storms mm-hmm. with everything. Both Isaiah and Hunt have matching tattoos of entwined thorns across their brows. Pangeran witches branded them, and it is on the brows of nearly all 2,000 rebel angels who fought in the rebellion years ago, a sign of their betrayal. The Assyri created angels to be perfect soldiers and loyal servants. And they had. Until Shahar, the archangel they'd called the Day Star, 
which her name literally does mean the day star. So it's not just like she just got that nickname for funsies. Hunt and the others had flown in her elite 18th Legion. And obviously their rebellion failed. They are now eternal servants to those that they tried to overthrow. While being interrogated, Sabine shows up and wants to kill Bryce because she believes that she took Danica's sword, even though Danica just dropped it at the antiquities. Victoria questions Bryce, and she's one of the few non-Malican who rebelled with them two centuries ago. Victoria has no body of her own. They don't know how she acquired her current body because she is a wraith. And she's now trapped in that body forever as a punishment. And because basically wraiths will ditch a body as it becomes too old or if it has like an ailment. And so then they can just, that's how they live forever. And so that's her punishment is that she now has to age with this body until she dies. They don't know who Bryce's father is because he didn't acknowledge paternity, but clearly has some standing since he got her Civitas status. I just think it's very interesting how to me, based on their descriptors, like it's glaringly obvious who her dad could be and how she would have this status. Like, you would think that someone fucking somewhere would have figured it out by now. I wondered if it wasn't necessarily like status, like power, but maybe just money. Maybe if they had the money to like give her that status or whatever. You yeah. Know what I mean, like, maybe I just to like keep her quiet. No, you're right. You're right. But again, Rune, whenever Rune visits his dad and the, they're doing the Ori thing or whatever, he makes a note or like a, thought that Bryce looks like the Autumn King more than either of them yeah. acknowledge, basically. Yeah. And maybe that's why that keeps popping up. So you write. <laughs> Stop it. Okay. Isaiah doesn't understand why Sabine hates Bryce. Bryce only has one crime in her file for public indecency. <laughs> but literally, I have noted that just based off of things that we've talked about in the past, as far as like crucifixion and how things are very biblical, Sabine literally suggests crucifying Bryce. Yeah. While B was in the interrogation room. Sabine walks in and says that she's going to crucify her. So yeah, Isaiah doesn't understand why Sabine hates Bryce. Danica has seven huge files, but seemed to calm down after she met Bryce with all the shit that she did. Um, Hunt knows Fury, a mercenary. Micah has ordered Hunt to kill twice before, but she has too many high-powered allies. So Hunt has literally tried to off her, and she's like, nah, you can't. What I just thought was just so shitty about this whole interrogation, and honestly, I'm just like, oh my God, this is just so relevant to how things are handled, even in just an R world. They show her the messages that she sent Danica that night, including a video of her doing the drug light seeker. She also tells Danica she fucked someone in the bathroom and not to tell Connor. Then show her shows the camera footage and audio from her apartment building. You can literally hear Danica screaming and pleading and begging for mercy. Bryce explodes and she trashes the room before she just barfs repeatedly. They get a call from Naomi Boreas. She's the captain of the 33rd infantry telling them to let Bryce go and not follow her. Rune Dannon, Crown Prince of the Valbaran Fae. I love that sound so much. So he called. Brosive Cuz called. And he's super angry at the House of Sky and Breath wasn't notified and says it falls under Fae jurisdiction. So then he shows up. Rune Dannon. He is the... Rune Dannon, crown prince of the Valbar and Fae, and son of the Autumn King, and possessor of the Star Sword. <gasps> I can't even tell you how many times I've listened to that embarrassing number. If we were standing, I would have shown you the dance I do when I hear it. 
Do you want me to play it again? I, <laughs> it's okay. Okay. Now I'm upset. Unfortunately, this podcast is not on video. <sighs> There's just some things that I can't let the world see about you. And that's one of them. I understand. The fabled dark blade of the ancient starborn face, the star sword. It's a proof of his status as the chosen one. Oh my God. Okay. Harry Potter. The sword apparently made from iridium mined from a meteorite and forged in another world before Fey had come through the Northern Rift. Fire magic is common among Valbar and Fey and wielded by Autumn King himself, but Rune's magic is more like the Fey who ruled the Fey Isle of Avalon, power to summon shadow, mist, and then it's very much giving as vibes. Rune came for Bryce. That's Asriel, not ass. Oh, either or. (laughs) And because they keep their parentage a secret. So then we get into chapter seven where basically Ethan tells her that she is not welcome to come to the sailing the next day, which is their version of a funeral. Bryce is kneeling before the tower ivory gates of the bone quarter. A creature comes out of the mist and the chapter ends. So we don't find out what the creature is or why she is there to see it. And then we go in to part two, the trench part two jumps 22 months later because time is only a construct created by us. And I like how it's Bryce Quinlan has just fucked a line shifter in the white Ravens bathroom. (laughs) Good for her. Good for her. Um, So then she has to go to a business meeting with Maximus Tertian. He's a 200-year-old vampire, unwed and unmated, and is the son of Cedrian, the richest of the Pangeran vamps and most monstrous. He is there to buy a 5,000-year-old onyx bust of a long-dead vampire lord. We learn that the first light grid's power is generated by the pure, undiluted light each veneer emits while making the drop. Only during the drop that the flash of first light appears. Raw, unfiltered magic. Sounds a whole lot like fucking Dorian. But anyways. Captured and bottled, first glow is used for healing, and then the rest is handed over to the energy plants to fuel lights, cars, machines, etc. The drop is done in a government center. And then we learn that the drop is easy. It is falling into one's power. Once the bottom is reached, the mortal body expires and the clock begins counting down. Mere minutes allowed for the race back up to life before the brain shuts down from lack of oxygen. You have six minutes to get back out. It would have been even better if we would have had seven, but (laughs) (laughs) someone has to act as an anchor, a beacon, lifeline, bungee cord to help snap their companion back so they don't die. But there's only six Asteria left, so... There you Shit, go. There it is. So if we had still had serious, then they'd be like, we got to add that extra yeah. minute on. If they're like each siphoning off your power. No, you right. Fuck. You only got six minutes, six of them siphoning off of you. Okay. You know what? Fair enough. There you go. Good call. I'm, I'm here for it. Obviously, Bryce is still not done the drop. Okay. We find out that her and Rune had once been close. They had been best friends. Rune is there to tell her that the Autumn King wants her to lie low as the summit meeting is just in over a month. The summit meeting occurs every 10 years, a gathering of Valbara's ruling powers to debate issues. Bryce pretends that she still parties, but she actually has not drank a single drop since the night that Danica died and now lives in a fancy penthouse apartment that belonged to Danica that she left to Bryce. And then we go to chapter nine, Hunt Athelar is in an apartment in the meadows and he kills people there and then goes to the committee in barracks. And then we just learn like how hard that is for Hunt to just go and kill those people and move on. We find out that Sandriel, the Archangel and Governor of the Northwestern Quadrant of Pangera, was Hunt's former owner before Micah traded with her. Sandriel was his dead lover's twin sister. And then she is actually coming in for the summit. 
And Shahar believed her sister had killed their parents and then framed an assassin for it. Shahar rebelled because of it. She wanted a world free of hierarchies. And Sandriel believed Hunt had lured her twin into the rebellion and turned her against her sister. Hunt was in love with Shahar. And we've talked about how, really how shitty Shahar really was. Mm-hmm. And then Hunt has to pay back every life he took during the final battle. And he is blamed for 2,217 deaths. And I got really excited whenever I literally typed in 2,200 or 2,217 meaning, and it comes up with the angel number. Um, and so angel numbers are divine messages believed to be sent from the spiritual realm. If you've noticed that a particular number sequence appears around you repeatedly, you might be experiencing an angel number phenomenon. These are sequences of numbers believed to hold a special meaning and significance. And so ultimately the 2,217 angel number centers around personal growth and development. Love it. The number is a message from the universe that it is time to take the necessary steps for personal transformation <clears throat> into third. It encourages you to let go of your old habits and beliefs and embrace change without fear. I.e. become third. Get it, hunt. Get it. Anyways, so it's really fun. There's a lot of other stuff with the 2,217, but I just, Sarah doesn't do anything just for shits and gigs. So far, he's only paid back 82 lives, and Micah is the only person who has offered him a chance at his freedom, and since Hunt names in a file with all the information he needs to know, and then he kills them for him. So basically, like, a life for a life from the ones that he killed during the rebellion. So in Chapter 10, Hunt and Isaiah show up at Griffin Antiquities. Murder took place on the outskirts of the meat market the night before, where good old little Maximus was murdered. His injuries were identical to the ones inflicted by Danica and her pack, and they believe that Briggs didn't actually do it, which is very devastating for Bryce. Then we go into chapter 11, and Micah comes to the gallery to speak to her, to speak to Bryce and Jezeba via video call, and he wants Bryce to find the true murderer. Jezeba agrees, but then, of course, Jezeba obviously threatens to turn her into an animal if she, like, (laughs) fucks around. And there was just some stuff like they just Sarah went through and just blatantly described how Jessica was dressed during this video call. It was just weird to me. It was just like, and she's wearing fresh water pearls. How would Bryce fucking know from a video call that she was in fresh water pearls? Aren't they a kind of a different color? It's just, but it's just like, why didn't it just say that she was wearing pearls? Why did it specifically have to be fresh water pearls? Oh, yeah. You, I have, I thought they were like more blatantly obvious. And so then I was like, what do freshwater pearls signify? Freshwater pearls sim- symbol- symbolize purity, harmony, and humility. And I was like, so nothing about Jespa. <laughs> pearls are organic gems that grow within clams and other mollusks. Also, the metaphysical is innocence and faith. And I was like, again, nothing about Jezeba. There's nothing about it like purity, innocence, and kindness. So I couldn't find any, but it was just so weird to me. And and I don't know. So the, another one is wealth. It's just another one. It does one. say that most freshwater pearls, they have an irregular shape. So maybe it was the shape of them that gave it away? Maybe. Are we pointing to specifically the Idris River? I, I don't know. That's just a very specific thing that... Again, I could just be spiraling, but I just couldn't really let it go. So anyways, so then we can jump on into chapter 12. And so Micah wants the murderer caught or at the summit meeting, they will say he doesn't have control of his city. The new witch queen will be formally recognized at the summit and Sandriel is coming and will be Micah's guest in the city for a month. 
Sandriel is also bringing Pollux Antonius with her, uh, Triari commander, also known as the Hammer. And then we learn that Hell has seven territories. The Hollow, the Trench, the Canyon, the Ravine, the Chasm, the Abyss, and the Pit. Bryce also starts to learn that everything she thought she knew about Danica was a fucking lie because we all know how you and I actually feel about Danica. But she finds out that Danica and Maximus were apparently friends. We also learned that the Hind is Pollock's lover and the Hammer and the Hind are just one and the same. And then her real name is Lydia Kravos. Hunt is put on protection duty to guard Bryce while she hunts for the killer. But Isaiah also does that to keep him out of out of sight from Sandriel just to protect him friend to friend. Chapter 13, Micah tells Hunt that if he solves the case quickly, he will cut his debts down to just 10 more assignments, which Hunt was like, even if it takes 80 years, if he spans those out, it's definitely worth doing it. And Micah also warns him to keep his hands and his dick to himself. And he basically threatens him that he'll cut off anything. And Hunt goes into this whole thing about how his dick would regenerate itself. But that would just... That was really funny to me. It was hilarious. He was like, he'd rather not, but it would be fine. It would be okay. (laughs) But if he doesn't have to... And then also they talk about Hunt and Rune, like a little bit of their tumultuous relationship that they have. Last time that Hunt saw Rune at the spring equinox, he had broken his nose. So there's definitely already just like a little bit of a rift, even as Hunt is inserted himself into Bryce's life. Chapter 14, Rune has been heading up the Fate Division of the Ox for 15 years now. I think it's just really important for us to just, especially these first 24 chapters, to break it down bit by bit. 14? Yeah. Is that where you're at? Okay. Yeah. Just because I feel like this first one. Oh, 20- did you? Sorry. No. Did you say that Lunathian was a replica city? No. Lunathian had been built as a model of the ancient coastal cities around the Reagan Sea, a near exact replica that included its sandstone walls, the arid climate, the olive groves, the little farms that line distant hills beyond the city borders to the north, even the great temple to the patron goddess in the very center. But unlike those cities, this one had been allowed to adapt. Streets lay in an orderly grid, not a tangle, and modern buildings jutted up like lances in the heart of the CBD, far surpassing the strict height codes in Pangera. Micah had been responsible for it. Also, I did highlight something in chapter 13 today. It's talking about Micah. He was a male of progress, of tolerance, they said. Hunt often wondered what it would feel like to rip out his throat. (laughs) Is that not almost identical to the first line of Flame and Shadow with Lydia sitting in front of the Asteri? Just really quick, because I had had a quarter mass pulled up because she has that on there. Tell me when you're ready. I'll read this one first and then you read that one. Okay, you go. Hunt often wondered what it would feel like to rip out his throat. On line one, page one of House of Flame and Shadow on a Court of Mass, the hind knelt before her undying masters and contemplated how it would feel to tear out their throats. There you go. Line by line. Word by word. Room by room. <laughs> rune by rune. Um... So Rune is, has been heading up the Fate Division of the Ox for 15 years now. Um, Rune is one of about a dozen Fae princes across the planet Midgard, but he is the only starborn among them. I just think it's very interesting that we talk about, or like it gets mentioned to these other princes, but like, what, we only have one other that comes up in Sky and Breath. Mm-hmm. And then also the Autumn King. So whenever Rune's in his office, the Autumn King is... Quote, looking for patterns on his, quote, prism device. 
And we don't know what it does. We just know that he is just like intently looking for patterns because Rune is honestly, what the fuck are you doing? I'm Mm -hmm. in here trying to have this meeting with you and you're just over here fucking twiddling with what the fuck ever. It's honestly the most like dad move that I think the Autumn King ever does where he's just like, huh? And he's just like piddling around. Bryce visited and met her father for the first time at age 13. Meeting had not gone well between her and her father, but Rune would visit her often until they had a fight and stopped speaking. And at this point, we don't know what was said, but it was not nice. I have a highlight from Rune and the Autumn King talking. Oh yeah, go. I didn't know if it was a good place for you. No, go ahead. So I thought this was interesting because Rune, the Autumn King tells Rune that he wants the horn and Rune's like, why? And he's like, it's an artifact of our people. And he's like, it was in a freaking whatever. And he's like, we've disgraced our ancestors by having it as a tourist attraction right anyways micah wished to discuss shoring up our city's defenses should the conflict overseas spread here he made it clear the fey are not as they once were so rune's like okay so micah pissed you off saying the fey aren't as strong as they used to be and the autumn king says the fey have long been fading our magic wanes with each generation watered down wine he frowned at rune the first starborn prince could blind an enemy with the flash of his starlight you can barely summon a sparkle for an instant which is interesting because rune thinks he has the star sword because of peleus whenever we later learn that the star sword belonged to thea the light is thea's light not peleus's light it's not a starborn prince it was a starborn princess yeah so I thought that was interesting. He's yeah. like, the first Starborn Prince could blind an enemy. And then later, Bryce can blind an enemy. Because she has Thea's light. Yep. Because it wasn't a prince. Not Peleus's light. It's not the patriarchy. Not okay. the patriarchy. Okay. And so we find out that Rune received the Star Sword from the Cave of Princes in Avalon's Dark Heart. Um, he was deemed worthy to pull it from its sheath. Which I think we'll see. Obviously, we'll see that I think it was just part of that whole, like, he's going to be able to be the one to hand it to Bryce because obviously Bryce was never going to be able to get into that fucking cave. Mm-hmm. Um, the King wants Rune to get married um, and wants him to marry Hypaxia, the new witch queen of Valbara and tells Rune to find Luna's horn. And of course he's what the fuck. And then this is the first mention in this book of like calls to like mm-hmm. by the autumn. King. Yeah. And then when Rune saw the Oracle, she had told him the Royal bloodline will end with him, but the autumn King does not know that is what the Oracle has said to Rune. So then we move on into chapter 15. We learn that Srink stays with Bryce in her apartment. Bryce sees that Hunt is watching her on the roof outside of her apartment, which royally pisses her off. And she finds out that it is Hunt's order to watch her. They start driving each other crazy because he wants to watch what she's watching on TV. And she's basically like, no, fuck you. And Hunt wants her to write her list of suspects for Micah. And she basically just tells him in so many words to go fuck himself. Hunt calls Isaiah, which... Isaiah has clearly been working out because he's breathless. And I just love it because Hunt's like, he doesn't know whether he's like fucking his boy or he's working out and he's clearly on the treadmill, but that Hamira's can pick locks, open doors and jump between two places as if they were walking from one room to another, which just is very parallel to some other characters from maybe not even just Crescent city, but other Worlds. Srinx jumped over to the roof and bit Hunt on the ass right before jumping back over to Bryce's apartment, which I just thought it was hilarious, this little interaction that Bryce is looking out and literally Hunt is grabbing his ass right as she looks out and she's none the wiser that it was because of Srinx. So then we get to where we get a little bit more of a look at Lahaba 
Um, she was marked as a slave from birth. The same for all sprites. Um, we learned that Bryce bought um, shrinks from Jessica after Danica died and Jessica tried to sell him. Um, and so she basically was like, no, I'm going to take shrinks and he's going to be mine. Also, Bryce goes to the nail salon and makes Hunt wait outside while she gets her nails done and that just pisses him off. And I just love the like banter that we get from almost right off the bat that they're just under each other's skin. It's definitely giving that like enemies to lovers vibe that we just all love tried and true. And so then in chapter 16, so Bryce goes to visit Rune where he lives with his friends, Flynn and Declan. Tristan Flynn is son of Lord Hawthorne. He wakes up from like basically being high off his fucking ass and he said, it says, Rune saw a halo of starlight that danced around her head and at her feet. It was twinkling in and out as he blinked. The star sword also glimmered with starlight and he could have sworn that it was singing inside of its sheath. I love it. All while he was trying to decide if he was dreaming or high or what the fuck ever while Bryce was standing at like the foot of his bed and was basically like, can you get the fuck up? We learn about Declan Emmett and he has built a career off of hacking into the Republic websites and charging them for him to reveal their weaknesses, which I just love. That's very like dark webby of him. I, I don't know. I just think that's just really, just really funny. And so then Bryce asks Rune for info on the Viper Queen and Rune makes mention of her Arcesian amulet that Jezba gave her and tells her to not take it off, which is just very notable that this is the second person that has told her not to take this amulet off. And especially like for her to go and deal with the Viper Queen. Again, I think Jezba has a much deeper connection with Bryce in the grand scheme of things because Jezba just is not really that person that I feel like really would give a whole lot of shits if somebody got killed on the job, especially to give them something such as like an amulet to wear. Rune and his friends see Bryce cross the street to Hunt, and this royally pisses Rune off, and he confronts Hunt and tells him to tell Micah to put someone else on the case. Rune describes Hunt as single-minded when he is going after an opponent, and Rune has decided that he was going to try and go find the horn as well. So then in Chapter 17, Bryce gives Hunt her list of suspects. She surprises him by doing it and was just like, yeah, I did it uh, well watching TV on the couch. Like she's just very casual about it. And I just love how he's like very much that, that umbra mortis, like we got it. Here's the way that we have to do things. Like you can just tell that he has commanded legions and you can also just tell that Bryce doesn't give a flying fuck. And so she goes on to tell him that Danica didn't know Maximus and she did some digging and found Maximus's girlfriend which his girlfriend works at the nail salon that Bryce went to that. And you can just, I just love the way that this section unfolds because Bryce is clearly one upping hunt where he's over here just like, Oh, she's this vapid party girl. And clearly she's not. Then Bryce went to the nail salon and the girlfriend revealed Danica and Maximus didn't know each other, but both knew the Viper queen. And it said that no one knows what her powers are, that the Viper Queen is just very much kept on lock. And so then Bryce suggests that they tail the Autumn King and Hunt isn't excited about this idea since the Autumn King can kill anyone who trails him. Like he is allotted that privilege just being as one of the kings. The Autumn King is a courtesy title for him along with the seven other kings. 
which I just think is just wild. And then No Kingdom was truly their own in Crescent City. And then it's also just noted that the Avalon is headed by the Stag King. Bryce sneaks out of her apartment that night to head to the meat market for the Viper Queen. And it was mentioned again about Ember's mortal lifespan. I can't tell if that's going to be a tell sign that Ember is going to die or if it's a tell sign of maybe something more on the same side as like Aelin, like her powers were like contained and she was trapped in her human form. And so maybe Ember is more than what she's telling Bryce or maybe Ember doesn't know because we just don't really know a whole lot about Ember anyways. Hunt finds Bryce and literally says, I am going to kill you. Chapter 18, we dive into Hunt and Bryce are in the meat market, and it's known that the meat market has its own laws. Even though it's in Lunathian, they basically just live their own way, and it's ruled by the Viper Queen. We talk about where Memento or Mori art is mentioned because of the meat market. And then this is whenever I just could not literally get over myself on if Through Love All Is Possible was on the back of Danica's jacket in the old language. I feel like it's, I feel like it is because. He's translating Memento Mori, and then he says he translates the other just as easily. And that's Latin. Yeah. And he's Jesus. Okay, just to make note, Liv is leaving because that sweet child, sweet star child of hers has to go to bed. See what I did there? Sweet summer child. And uh, sweet Caroline. Bum, bum, bum. But I love you. Bye. Be careful. I'll see you Friday. As a physical book lover, we've all found ourselves in major need of a bookmark when we've been rudely interrupted while reading. Interruptions like your job, your needy pets and family, or your spouse wanting to tell you all about a random thing that they've been doing, all while you're at a really good part. Don't they see that we're reading? And in those moments, we've all found ourselves having to grab for a receipt, a post-it note, a scrap of paper, or the absolute worst dog earing your page. Well, in those moments, Case Leatherworks has you covered. Their dog ear bookmark fits perfectly over the corner of your page, so you never lose your place. Their products are made with top grain American leather in a variety of colors, and you have the option to customize your bookmark with your initials. Along with their bookmarks, they offer a variety of home good products that's perfect for any reading nook. Support small business by visiting caseleatherworks.com, and our listeners will receive 10% off your first order by using code THEORIES at checkout. That's offer code theories at caseleatherworks.com. And then I have made a note that says possibly the Viper Queen is a worm because in our one of our previous episodes, I go on about worms and wyverns and dragons and how they're all interconnected. So anyways, Bryce is in the meat market um, and she's there to buy obsidian salt. Um, obsidian salt can summon demons directly with only one demon can be summoned at a time. Um, demons have been summoned and basically been brought into Midgard, into the world. And most have been hunted for the long, hunted from long ago wars between realms. But some have been able to be like left behind or be like taken or whatever. They get summoned and then they're like almost like imprisoned. Um, results of reproduction by force are the demoniki. And then this is where we hear that hunt had been used to hunt these demons down directly. And we find out that is actually what he was bred for. Hell, hell, hell has been severed from them by time and space, but can be accessed through the twin sealed portals at the North and South poles. So the Northern rift and the Southern rift, which to me is just the same as like where the veils are the thinnest, which is very similar to some of the beliefs that we have here in our world in present time. 
And so they find the satir who sold Briggs the obsidian, which I just think it's really funny that we had a whole discussion about if about Juniper being a fawn, which like can also be known as a, a goat, but then a satir is also like a half like goat man as well. But then they find that. So then this is the same one who sold Briggs the obsidian to summon the demon. And so then everything that they did is measured to seven by seven and it's the holy or unholy number. And then this whole interaction can be found on page 208 in the hardback. And so if you want to read into it a little bit more, she gets them to where they can buy some. And as they leave, the Viper Queen is outside waiting for her. And I just love like the description of the Viper Queen. I I am very much intrigued by the Viper Queen. And I think that she is definitely something that is going to come into play, especially whenever we get to Flame and Shadow in January. But I just love that... Again, on 208 in the hardback is she opened the door, grinning to herself, and Hunt was about to start demanding answers when she halted. When he also beheld who stood outside. The tall, moon-skinned woman was dressed in a gold jumpsuit, emerald hoop earrings hanging lower than her chin-length black bob. Her full lips were painted in purple so dark it was nearly black. In her remarkable green eyes, Hunt knew her by the eyes alone. Humanoid in every aspect, but for them. Green entirely, marbled with veins of jade and gold. Interrupted only by a slitted pupil, now razor thin in the warehouse lights. A snake's... Which, like, I love that description of her, just because Sarah is very about people's eye color. Eye color is very important to her. Eye descriptions is very important to her. Just everything... I related is truly something that she she loves to include and sometimes some of those details are very important like we notice like whenever like we've talked about earlier or Liv and I have talked about before about the Archeron sisters eyes that Farah and Nesta have like grayish eyes and then Elaine has the brown eyes so I just I think it is just very interesting that we don't get a lot about the Viper Queen and again <laughs> I just think it's funny because Liv is just like the Viper Queen. She's just very indifferent about her. But I think that she is going to play such a huge role in Flame and Shadow, especially because of all of the snake references on the covers. We get a little bit of a snake like crawling up on the woman that's on the front of Earth and Blood, which we assume is Bryce and Thea. And then on the front of um, Sky and Breath is you know, who we are assuming is Hunt and Thur is holding a snake. And then we've all seen the Flame and Shadow cover that there is literally a snake or like multiple snakes, it looks like, coming out of like portals, which we've talked about Norse mythology of Midgard, like the Midgard serpent. And so I think that the Viper Queen is going to have so much more because she, which we'll talk about later whenever we get to Sky and Breath, just more of the influence that she has. And then also just the stuff that goes on with Ariadne, which again, we'll talk about whenever we get to Sky and Breath. And then so chapter 19, basically they find out that Bryce bought the salt to get the Viper Queen's attention. And it was the only way to get a quick meeting with her because if she doesn't want to meet with you, she's not going to. However, she does have alibis for both murders and she tells Bryce to look toward where it hurts the most for answers, which is a real thing that keeps coming up. 
also, I just think that it's very interesting that we she's described when we first meet her as wearing a gold jumpsuit, and she also has gold painted nails. And if we look at the cover of Flame and Shadow, the snake is gold. And so they know that she's a snake shifter, but they're not really sure what her powers are, what that looks like. And so I'm like, is she a gold snake? Is she is she the snake that's on the front or like at least one of them that's on the front of Flame and Shadow? I, I don't know. I'm just I'm so overly intrigued by her that I find myself thinking about the Viper Queen way more than I think is healthy for just a what is considered at this point a side character that we just meet like on and off again almost as in Jezebel like she is just a mystery to me and I know she's a mystery to the whole fandom but I'm just like she's one of those characters and I'm like give me more of her her and Fury characters like that I'm just like please give me more which like obviously Sarah has a plan but I'm like come on there has to be something deeper and so I swear y'all if I don't get something in flame and shadow I'm gonna lose my mind Sarah chooses her words so wisely that there is a part here where she's basically said, if you get tired of crawling for that sorceress, come find me. The Viber Queen is saying this to Bryce about Jezeba and basically like insinuating kind of the sex worker and Hunt's hand was warm on her shoulder. She's not for sale. Bryce leaned out of his grip, throwing him a warning glare. The Viper Queen said, everyone general is for sale. You just have to figure out the asking price. Smoke flared from her nostrils, a dragon huffing flames. Guys, it just, again, that whole thing, like a couple episodes ago, whenever I was going on about like worms and dragons and all, I just, I'm just not convinced that she's just a snake. Like I think, is she some sort of like worm or beliscus or I don't know. I could just be reading into it a lot deeper than it needs to, but I'm just really convinced that the Viper Queen just has something so much deeper to do. Like, with all of this anyways so then we go on to chapter 20 and hunt says that micah can make him talk if he insists and this so this is one of the first looks that we get that there are theories out there that maybe hunt can be like controlled like fully controlled by micah we know that hunt disassociates but it's just his very first mention of it So then him and Bryce are trying to come up with a list of Danica's movements in the weeks before her death and hunt finds out Bryce bought the chimera's freedom so he can never be sold again. We find out that Hunt was bought, bought for 85 million gold marks. Um, and basically Bryce got a deal for the strings, but will be still be paying it off until she's 300. Um, and Lahaba like rats her out to Hunt. And Lahaba is also just very infatuated with Hunt, calls him Athy. Like it's very sweet. And then we also find out that Hunt is 233 years old. Uh, So then, of course, I had to just look up, okay, so what is the number meaning for the angel number 233 is an indicator of a new chapter. So if you received angel number 233 from your guardian angels, take it as a good news for your relationship because all of your hardships will soon come to an end, which I guess based on this book, yes, it's like 233 meaning ask you to cleanse your mind and meditate on the positive things that are happening in your life. And so I think that we are given that just because the numerology, like the angel number that the relationship between him and Bryce are going to take a turning point and that Bryce is going to be the good thing that's happening in his life. So anyways, then also Bryce admits that she learned the old Fae language in college, which we know will come back to be something very important later on in Sky and Breath. And so then Fury got Bryce the job with Jezeba 
And then we also find out just a little bit more about how the humans are ranked in Midgard. So all humans had to serve in the military for three years in Pangera. And she finds this out, like we find this out because she is talking about Randall. She tells Hunt that she has killed someone with Danica their senior year in college. Um, And then basically Hunt has come to ask her questions to jog her memory of the last week of Danica's life. He asked her what one happy memory was with Danica the last week she was alive. And Bryce tells him about how they went and got their tattoos the week that she died. And so he's basically just trying to do this to just jog her memory. And it's nothing of like ill will. He's literally just trying to help her and also boost this case along. Bryce has refrained from telling Athelar how accurate the Viper Queen's tip has been. She'd already given him a list of suspects, but he hadn't asked about the other demand that he made. So that's what she decided to do was compile a list of every one of Danica's movements from the week before her death. But the moment she'd finished opening up the gallery for the day, the moment that she'd come down to the library to make the list, nausea had hit her. And then Rune texts Bryce and asks her to meet at Luna's temple. And Bryce is like, why are we, why would we fucking go meet there? And then he says, as there are no cameras there. So then chapter 21, chapter 21 was a little bit interesting to me because we're, we're seeing where Bryce is just constantly replaying what the Viper Queen has said in her head about look toward where it hurts the most. We see that we get a description whenever they get to the temple of 30 feet high, Luna sat in a carved golden throne. The goddess lovingly rendered in shimmering moonstone, a a silver tiara of a full moon held by two crescent ones graced her upswept curling hair at her sandaled feet lay twin wolves their baleful eyes daring any pilgrim to come closer. Across the back of her throne, a bow of solid gold had been slung, its quiver full of silver arrows. The pleats of her thigh-length robe draped across her lap, veiling the slim fingers resting there. Honestly, that description, and Liv and I talk about this a lot, how much it sounds like Farah. And how much I keep trying to pin Farah in somehow with the wolves. Anyways, one of the things, and I wish that Liv was still here for this. Ah! The tour guide makes an announcement while they're standing there in the temple. Rune, Hunt, and Bryce are just waiting for this tour to just like move on. So the tour guide makes an announcement that they'll be going to the chamber where the stag sacrifices are prepared to be burned in Luna's honor. What the fuck? We just keep getting these stag references and it's wild to me. Absolutely wild. So then Rune tells Bryce the Autumn King has tasked him with finding Luna's horn was a weapon wielded by Peleus, the first starborn prince during the first wars. They mentioned the eight pointed star, the symbol of the starborn. The demon princes wanted the horn and it is noted that she's... And okay, the demon princes wanted the horn. One thing that is noted is that she stills. Hunt has noticed that Bryce stills like a fae, like a stag halting in the wood. This is another stag mentioning in the same chapter. It's so wild to me. And then the star eater bred a new horror to hunt the horn. They see an illustration of it and Bryce recognizes it as the same demon she saw the night that Danica died and calls it the Crystallos. During the final battle of the first wars, Prince Peleus and Prince of the Pit fought for three straight days. Sounds like another battle that happened for three straight days. 
The Star Eater struck the fatal blow, but not before Peleus summoned all of the horn's strength and banished the prince of the pit, his brethren and their armies back to hell. He sealed the northern rift forever, and the horn was cracked in two when Peleus sealed the northern rift, its power broken, and it couldn't be fixed. So they think that someone has summoned the demon to hunt the horn, but not sure why if it was broken and can't be fixed. So Rune can hunt the horn because his starborn power is woven into the horn by Prince Peleus. So he feels like, okay, well, uh, if I'm anywhere near it, I'll know it. Hunt says that he thought that celibacy seemed a bore until Shahar ruined him for anyone else. And then he contacts Justinian to look up the Crystallos. So then in chapter two, we find out that during the big fight Rune and Bryce had years ago, he called her a half-breed slut, which, wow, rude. And a client from Jezeba bought a small statue of Solus and Kithona. They're portrayed as a son with male features, burying his face into a pair of mountain-shaped breasts. This is considered a holy image and was known simply as the Embrace. And Bryce has noted that Ember wore a simplified version of it, which is a circle nestled atop two triangles. So then in chapter 23, Jezebel wants her to send over a file from her computer. And then whenever she is down in Jezebel's office, Bryce notes the Godslayer rifle is dismantled into four pieces and hung on the wall in Jezebel's office. And it can be noted that SGM only mentions something if we know that she's going to come back to it. There is also an engraved bullet that says Memento Mori, and it's the same words that are in the meat market. And Jezebel's voice is noted as it comes close to a reaper's rasp, which like if she's only 400 years old, why does she sound so old? And so then during this chapter, Hunt calls Bryce and there's been another murder by the gate in the old square. The victim is an acolyte from the from Luna's temple. And so then he basically forces Bryce to go there and Bryce's PTSD kicks in and Hunt realizes what he's done by bringing her there. And then Bryce can see the night that they were murdered in her mind's eye. Rune pulls Bryce out of her memories and she jerks away from him and basically just reacts to just like the fuck off of me. And then he Rune kind of calls Hunt out for bringing Bryce there. And then something that I just wanted to know is that Hunt calls Rune princeling. I'm like, okay. Okay, love that a little bit. And so then it is noted that Bryce had thrown out all of her dance clothes and stopped going because she had said that this would have been like a time that she would have went and used her dancing to feel better. And then Bryce never told Hunt she remembered him on that night whenever the Cristalos attacked her and he was basically the one that responded to her. Hunt does tell her that he was there that night and asked her how she survived. And she said she didn't. It just got away. I think that the Cristalos scented Hunt. And I think that it ran the other way as to not be like, since it knew it was being freaking demon hunted by him. Hunt tells her it nearly ripped Micah's chest out. And that's when she realizes the angel she saved that night that Danica died was Micah, the governor. So then we get into chapter 24, the last chapter that we have for this quick recap. I say quick. Sorry. Her saving Micah was kept a secret as it would look bad that the archangel got his ass handed to him and was saved by a 23-year-old half-fae, half-human who hadn't even made the drop. Um, She finds out that she's on Hunt's suspect list and let's just say that she is very angry. Um, She ran to the White Raven and pulled up her final messages from Danica. Bryce remembers the day their senior year when they crashed a stolen motorcycle 
The rifle Bryce had was wrenched from her hands and thrown away. Danica had shielded Bryce from the worst of the fall when falling off the bike. And Danica told her she loved her and that she was sorry. Bryce had told Danica to close her eyes. Then the memory ends before we get any more details. Whenever she's brought back to present time, she senses Hunt watching her and she basically does everything in her power not to just flip him off and tell him to go fuck himself. And then she goes inside of the club. And so then that is just the first 24 chapters of House of Earth and Blood. So we will be doing these as just a weekly add-in with some of our regular episodes. And we're very excited that you guys are on this road with us and how we are just so close with less than 55 days before this bad boy comes out. And I'm so excited Thank you guys so much for being here. Sorry that Liv had to leave. We, as you can tell, I've been sick and we had to reschedule our normal night that we record. So we're recording on an off night and we definitely didn't want her to have to miss bedtime with her son. Thanks for listening. Join us again next week. Follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Accorded Theories. You can always follow our personal pages. If there's anything that you'd like to add, we talk about it in, in either of the regular theories episodes or these recaps. If there's something that is shining out to you in some of these chapters that maybe we just didn't mention, go ahead and please let us know. You can send us an email at a theories at gmail.com. You can slide into our DMs. Let us know that way. We definitely also want to continue to hear any unhinged theories that you guys have. You can also become a patron by paying your spring tithe on Patreon for exclusive content. And you can even receive some fun goodies. Again, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. And love you. Bye.